the cross of Christ, self-deception, and the coming of a new world. The text this morning is Matthew chapter 26, verses 59 to 64. I hope if you're a Cedar viewer that you've got your Bible. Look it up. Matthew 26, 59 to 64. One of my favorite texts for these kinds of occasions. Let me read it, follow along. The trial of Jesus. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. So it's a scam. The whole thing's a trumped up trial. 60. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, there were a lot of people that wanted Jesus off the scene. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, quote, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? And Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. So he puts Jesus under oath. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. In an almost hidden, cryptic way, shows the matchless power and uniqueness of Jesus Christ, God the Son. The passage wraps up with this fascinating exchange between the high priest and Jesus. After a rather prolonged period of no response whatsoever to these accusations that people were bringing against him, Jesus does answer when the high priest puts him under oath. And the high priest says, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And that's when Jesus says, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. You have said so. What does that mean? Does he mean, no, that's just your opinion? Does he mean, yes, I am? Or does he mean something else? Does he mean something more than just yes. And I think it's C. I think Jesus did mean something more than just yes in this response. I don't think he chose those words lightly. I think they're the studied, careful words of God the Son as he strives to make a point. And it's a point on which life and death, eternal life and death, hang. And I say that because Jesus used this very same phrase, almost the exact words earlier in this same chapter of Matthew's gospel. 
It's the night of his betrayal. They're breaking bread together. Judas is there. He's about to betray Jesus. It's in Matthew 26, 24, and 25. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. It's the Old Testament, the prophets. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if that man had not been born. By the way, this isn't the text, the idea. Jesus says there's punishment after death. If we were just annihilated, it would have been the same as not being born for Judas. Jesus says it's going to be worse than not being born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi, teacher? And Jesus says, look at the words, Remember those? You've said so. There it is. Same phrase. And here, because we have the advantage of looking back, we all know what Jesus' words meant. We all know Judas is pretending when he says, Oh, surely not I. Judas knows full well. He's going to betray Jesus. Judas has already made plans and talked to people about betraying Jesus. So he's bluffing here. He's hoping he can get away with some sort of con in front of the other disciples. Because they're all saying, John says, they're all saying, is it I? Is it I? And so Judas doesn't want to appear like he's the only one who feels guilt. So he did, oh boy, surely not I. Jesus says, you've said so. That's because Jesus knows full well that Judas is going to betray him. And because he knows full well Judas is just pretending innocence, looking as though he's asking a really sincere question, Jesus comes back with the same words he's going to say to the high priest. You have said so. In other words, Jesus, when Jesus says, you have said it yourself to the high priest, he's saying... You already know the answer to this question. That's what he's saying. Your question is merely a means of hiding the truth from your own heart. You know more than you're willing to face at the core of your being. And Jesus says, I'm not playing this game. The answer is in the words that have just come tumbling out of your mouth. You said it. What does Jesus do with such blindness? What else does he have to say to the high priest? What do you and I need to remember as we live in this world of truth suppressors and deniers? Look at the rest of his words. They're great words. 64, Jesus said, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. Those are powerful words. Here's what I want to talk about. Jesus says there are three great reversals that are coming. Palm Sunday comes with the message of the death of Jesus Christ. 
There was no deliverance for him. He didn't escape the false accusations. He didn't escape the phony trial. No miracle saved him from the embarrassment and pain of the cross, a cursed death, not just a death. People like Pilate, the high priest, they were free to play fast and loose with Jesus for their own desires, and they did. He's led around, made a fool of, spat on, and Jesus doesn't stop. People still have that freedom. Jesus gets retried a million times a day in this world by closed-minded people who don't want to respond to his claim on their lives. He gets ignored even by church people who think they can pay lip service to him without actually bringing judgment on themselves for their pretend faith. It happens. And so Jesus says, there are three great reversals coming, and they're going to usher in a new world. Your future hangs on these great reversals more than it hangs on your investments, your business success, your education, or even your family and loved ones. Jesus said the high priest was going to see these great reversals with his own eyes, and you and I will see them too. So here we go. Number one, you can pretend I'm not the Christ for now, but one day you'll see me come in glory. You have said so, but I tell you from now on, these words are important. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the cloud, right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. In many Bibles, that last part about the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. In many Bibles, maybe yours, those words will be either capitalized or printed in italics, and that's because those words have their roots in some very powerful Old Testament prophetic scriptures about Jesus. I was looking at Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, 13 to 14, and I saw in the night visions, and behold, look at these words, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. Same words. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is how Jesus uses that term for himself, son of man. He uses that term to describe himself more than any other term. And it's a term filled with might and dominion from the prophets. Jesus was the Messiah in the prophesied sense of being God's chosen deliverer and king, but it sure didn't look like it when he was standing in front of Caiaphas. People were mocking him. They weren't bowing before him. He was everyone's victim. There were no robes. There were no crowns, unless you count the one made of thorns. People didn't seem to be ruled by Jesus at all. Read the accounts. The people are playing with Jesus. They're having fun with him. Save yourself. Come down from that cross. Mocking him. 
and he let it all happen. He still does. You don't have to take the lordship of Jesus seriously in your life. You don't have to study his word and honor it. You don't have to go to church regularly. You can get away with just using the right words, but Jesus said there's a great reversal coming. You're going to see it. Everybody needs to hear words like that. Reversal number two. In your blindness, you think you're passing judgment on me. And you're going to realize when I come that you're only sealing judgment on yourself. Jesus told the high priest that he would see him coming with power. But I want you to notice one small detail of significance that I think is precious. Jesus said to him, you have said so. Okay, we looked at that. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. The interesting thing is, you go through the accounts of the trial of Jesus, and all the time, as far as we can tell, he's made to stand. He is shuttled around all over the place in front of the world's power brokers, political and religious. And he's made to stand before them like he has to answer to them. They're seated. They bring Jesus in, and Jesus has to stand there and give account. Like he was answerable. There's such great restraint here on the part of Jesus, such great humility and love for a lost, wicked world. But Jesus says, Jesus says, when he comes back, He won't be standing before anyone. Everyone will be standing before him. He'll be seated. Everyone else will be standing. It's so striking. The very appearance before Caiaphas they brought up this statement that Jesus made about the temple. This one. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, and they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward. So people came forward and tried all sorts of stuff, but even the legal minds had to say, okay, this, that's not going to fly. Trying anything. They found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Of course, it was all a lie. It was close to what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple, talking about his body. John says that. He explains it. Destroy this temple, this body, and I'm going to rise again in three days. That's what Jesus was talking about. You destroy this temple, 
my body. I'll raise it up. This is the truth staring Caiaphas in the face. Jesus is saying, you sentenced me to death, and in your blindness, you think you can put me out of sight forever. You think this means you'll be done with me forever, but you're wrong. You will see the Son of Man, not dead, but alive, coming on the clouds of heaven. Destroy this temple, I'll raise it up. Not only will I rise, I will come again. Not only will I rule somewhere far away in heaven, I will return to earth. This will not just be some rule of love in devout believers' hearts. This will take place visibly. You will see this happen, he says. That's the third great reversal. There's a new world coming. Remember, church, there are some great reversals coming. Your world is going to be turned upside down. And everything hinges on how we all own up to the truth we have heard about Jesus Christ. Like Caiaphas, we don't need more proof. We need to submit our lives to the incredible force revealed God-given truth. Jesus Christ is the risen Messiah. He's the Son of God who died for our sins as the only Redeemer and who will come again on the clouds of glory to judge this world in righteousness and everyone needs to yield to that truth. Do it today. Do it today. Don't play the game of this high priest Words aren't enough. I don't know you, but in a crowd this size, there have to be people that need to hear these words. The talk isn't enough and the songs aren't enough. You have to own the truth about Jesus Christ. It's got to get under your skin. It has to make a difference in the way you live and face reality and plan and use your time and create habits. It has to do not just with saying, I believe in Jesus, but knowing what he said and agreeing with everything he said. You think of Caiaphas to Judas first, you've said so yourself. Then to Caiaphas, you've said so yourself. What's Jesus doing with remarks like that? He's saying, I'm watching your words and the things you say, and I want your life to line up. See, I need to hear that. Anybody else need to hear that? Yeah, I need to hear that. Because there's a new world coming. There's a new king coming. And it's not mystical, and it's not myth, and it's not fairy tale. There's not a book in the Bible that begins with the words, once upon a time. Jesus says to Caiaphas, now on, you're going to see me coming with clouds of glory. Can you just bow your heads just for a minute, please?